My name is Jeline Jackson. I'm with Moms for America. I'm coming to you tonight from our home in Chevy Chase, Maryland, just about 15 minutes from downtown Washington, D.C. in the White House. My sweetheart, Al, is coming to you from Detroit, Michigan with Booker T. Washington behind him. He is staying with our son who uh, plays for the Detroit Pistons. He's in the NBA has a home there and uh, Al and our little girl and our oldest daughter are um, visiting him this week. And someone's got to take care of the dog. My, our boy decided to get a little puppy dog right as the season started. And so now he flies one of us out there on a regular basis to watch the dog. And I guess you, you have dog duty, Al, is that right? Yeah, actually Marie, Marie's doing way more than I am. Okay. All right. The 14-year-old has got dog duty. But anyways, so let's get started tonight. Oh, I love this lesson. I love Seminar 4 for many reasons. I hope you all have your brand new manual, Restoring the Charter of Freedom. Remember, these manuals are only $12, but they are, they're my treasures. And I've had them for years. And when they get so marked up, I have to get a new one and, and remark. It's kind of like your, your Bible. You know, you mark it up so much that you have to start over with a new Bible. But the, these four seminars and these four manuals are just a wealth of information that you will draw upon to know how to understand something or explain it to someone your children, your grandchildren, your husband, your neighbors. And so um, we're starting. So even if you've not been a part of seminar one, two, or three, because each seminar is four weeks long, this Healing of America seminar is 16 weeks total. So we're on the last four weeks. But each seminar, um, I, I say they can be standalone, but you definitely want to go and listen. And all the lessons are recorded on our uh, Moms for America website. So if for some reason you miss a, a lesson from time to time, just go and watch the lessons on uh, Moms for America under cottage meetings and then click under virtual cottage meetings. So we know that they're fill in the blank. The keys are at the back. So you always have a little bit of homework uh, as you come to class. And I always recommend as well, rereading the section that we cover there's four sections in a seminar so it's four weeks to get through one seminar we are on the last seminar the healing of america you know i don't have to tell anyone that we are living in an increasingly quarrelsome world with wildly i mean I, i'm just astounded i live in washington dc me and now how differently uh the different opinions are, and I heard someone explain it, wildly different opinions and perspective on issues. And that causes contention and confusion. And it can be uh, like depressing and very divisive that, you know, people you love and you call friends and even family just have wildly different perspective on, on these times that we're living in. And so, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that I love, um, seminar four, because it's about solutions. A few months ago, Al and I went and visited Alabama and we went to Tuskegee University. The uh, founder of Tuskegee is Booker T. Washington, who is right behind Al. I didn't know our son had a picture of Booker T. in his house. That must be the influence of his wonderful father. But there is Booker T. behind Al. Uh, and we went to Booker T.'s um, university and to the home that he um, presided at while he was the president. Now, Booker T. Washington was a former slave 
and he overcame tremendous adversity. And there's a big quote on campus, and I just loved it. Booker T. Washington said, though, I will let no man bring me, let's see, I will let no man bring me down so low as to make me hate him. I will let no man bring me down so low as to make me hate him. And I love that fighting spirit of his because he saw himself not as a victim, but as a victor. And he was about solutions and not blame. And this is what this seminar is about. It is about solutions, answers and solutions to the problems that we face, how we can heal, how can we repair, restore, be about revival in our country. And, you know, I love that great promise. In uh, the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 7.14, if we will turn from our wicked ways and seek God's face, he will heal our land. And we know we can take his promises to the bank. And he doesn't say a majority of us have to do it, but just enough. I mean, look, God provided the miracles uh, of the Revolutionary War. Only 3% were actually willing to get on that wall and do something and to fight. So he doesn't need a majority. He just needs enough seeking his faith, uh, uh, face and his will and his ways for the heavens to intervene. And so here we go. Um, we just I always have to do a quick review. Seminar one was about God's hand in building of America, the miracles. And it's it's inspiring to learn about miracles because it reminds you that, wait a minute, if God was a God of miracles back then in the establishment of this land, he's not just going to allow us to, uh, to collapse into oblivion, that he is still a God of miracles. And seminar two, uh, we studied the Constitution. We learned it from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. Now, we know the Constitution was the instrument that our creator used to bring peace to the land when it was established and to be able to protect families so they could worship according to the dictates of their own conscience, that they were able to defend themselves, that they would have protections if they were falsely accused, and that they would have protections from a, a runaway government, that it would be a, a limited federal government, and that people in the states would be able to, you know, respectively, to be able to dictate the laws and the standards for their own communities. So seminar two, we learned the constitution from the uh, viewpoint of the founding fathers. Now, we also learned that, look, 85% of the constitution is still intact. We could say maybe 15 is a uh, need of repair, it's broken. But, you know, let's, we have good heart. We don't have to start from scratch when it comes to repairing the constitution. And then the last four weeks, which are a kind of a downer seminar four, we learned about all the attacks on America, the unhinging systematically, uh, the attacks on education, on the moral fiber, on our constitution. And this was done by these master planners that we talked about in seminar three, uh, that want to work us towards this new world order, which we're, we feel like we're kind of seeing it happen right before our eyes. So, you know, in this day and age, we're hearing a lot of what's wrong with America, the news, politicians, neighbors, everyone. It's kind of like we're all masters of critique, experts on detailing what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with the president, what is wrong with our country. But it seems like we're all just kind of shooting blanks because everyone it can tell you what they're against, but no one can really tell you what they're for. So we're making a lot of noise, but we're not 
it seems like we don't have the proper weapon to really heal this land. So, you know, we look to our legislators or executive orders or court decisions, but a lot of a, lo- a lot of these statutes and laws and decisions are not steeped in our founding fathers' wisdom. And so, you know, what they're giving us is just little temporary band-aids on the boilerplate. It's just temporary fixes that we're getting from Washington, D.C., not long-term solutions. So when we study the Constitution and, and, you know, how we operated the first hundred years and, you know, the great success that America had under those principles that were struck off by the hand of God, our founding fathers said, these inspired principles in the Constitution before we began to change it in the 1900s. You know, when, when we understand that what, where we veered away from, we know then how to use the rifle approach, not the shotgun approach where you have to, you know, use a lot of fractured bullets or fractured energies. And, you know, it's, it's like, if we try and solve all these little problems out there, you know, our education, our immigration, uh, the mass mandates, critical race theory, election fraud, the economy, healthcare. What will happen is we're fighting all these issues. We're going to get worn out and our efforts will become diluted. It's kind of like whack-a-mole, you know, and as the enemies of freedom, as we get kind of control of one problem, the enemies of freedom will create three or four or five more. And so as we study the Constitution from the viewpoint of the Founding Fathers and what has gone wrong and what do we need to, you know, repair and correct so we can get back right on the the path, we need to ask ourselves, what part of the Constitution was destroyed that allows this problem to exist? So what what part of the Constitution has been broken that would allow election fraud or uh, would allow these uh, COVID or vaccine mandates to flourish? So it will be the people who really understand what the what our founders intended when they gave us the Constitution. They will be able to be the ones that will be able to instill, you know, in the hearts of their legislators or run for office themselves. Or most importantly, instill and teach these principles and concepts to their children and their grandchildren. Because the hand that rocks the cradle really does rule the world. You know, we know when God wants to make changes... In the world, he puts ideas and thoughts and teachings in the hearts of mother and father and grandfather and grandmother. And then he brings a little baby into their world. And then God just waits because then they instill these teachings into that child and that child raises up to be the change that is needed. And this constitution that God gave us will be the instrument that I believe God will use to heal our land and restore peace and prosperity and heal families, and heal communities, and heal our nation. So let's turn to the introduction, and uh, it talks about perhaps this seminar, Seminar 4, is the most important seminar of them, uh, uh, because as Americans, we need to be about the rescue of our country, and restoring the Constitution in the tradition of the founders, and I'm like, let's, we got to make America, America great permanently. And I believe that, you know, our, our greatest individual influence will be within the four walls of our home. That is where we'll be able to make the best changes from within that will permeate on out. 
So, you know, there's interesting little paragraph here that was written 10 years ago, and it's almost like it, it could have been written yesterday. Never has the future appeared so bleak and challenging as it is now. Many Americans are saying, what can we do? The answer to this question takes us full circle from seminar one, where we learned about God's hand in the discovery and building of America. So we studied in great detail in that seminar one how um, the founders believed that the creator was directly involved in assisting the early Americans in the establishment of this free nation. And that how we studied over 67 times, General Washington wrote letters to Congress explaining that if it weren't for the interventions of the hand of God, surely they would have lost these battles and lost the soldiers. Now, it's important to remember, uh, Congress was not backing the great General Washington. And sometimes when we think, why aren't the people that should be on my side, why can't they understand this? Well, our great George Washington, and look, it's Valentine's Day, so I've got them all glammed up with lots of hearts and, you know, <laughs> trinkets around them. Oh, I wish you could see my house. It looks like a love shack. I like to see seasonally decorate. And I wanted to do George Washington proud. But, you know, I mean, he had to continually remind them, if I didn't have God on my side, we would not be, we would not be around. I need money. I need troops. I need supplies. I need equipment. Why can't you see I need help? And we might be saying that, you know, to our politicians or to our children or to, you know, our church leaders or why, why are you not seeing what I'm seeing here? And so, you know, we're able to see it every facet of the, the Constitution was based on the personal experiences that these founding fathers and founding mothers were having, that the God in heaven allowed them to have these real trials of faith where they didn't think it was going to work, you know, uh, if they were going to make it. But, you know, each one of those founding families went through their University of Hard Knocks. And Jefferson, remember, he said, look, we're not going to heal this nation or establish this nation on a feather bed. And we know that trials build tenacity and grit. And it was uh, Jefferson who said these principles that he embedded in the De uh, Declaration of Independence were going to be eternal principles. And he pulled these ancient principles from um, Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Numbers, and he embedded them in. And he felt that they were going to take us on into some sort of millennial reign. He called them the eternal principles. And so these men were raised up for a very specific purpose to establish the Constitution. And they were completely confident in God's hand in doing the work that they did. And so, you know, I think with this little bit of background information now, I hope that we're able to identify and the things that are going to be necessary to restore the founder's dream. And that, you know, you all here tonight could possibly one day be considered, you know, as you take leadership roles in your home and in your community and maybe your state or nation or your children do, that you might be known as the uh, founding fathers and mothers of um, the restoration, just like the original founding fathers of our country. And so um, here we go. Let's turn, let's turn the page here. So Cleon Skousen, who wrote uh, these uh, Healing of America seminars, um, has said, and I like to repeat his promise, uh, the, a promise from God that someday 
will be fulfilled in America. He said, I'm not pessimistic about the future because I think the soul of America is going to be cleansed by the events which will humble the whole nation and put us back on our knees where we can talk to God and recommit ourselves to virtue and morality. And then he quotes that beautiful scripture from Chronicles about, you know, um, God will forgive us of our sin and heal our land as we turn to him. And, uh, and they said, yeah, I know that, you know, the immorals and the political sophisticates and the cynics will just mock to believe that, oh, God can heal your land. Well, good luck. But he says, if, if we don't turn from our wicked ways, from, from crime and abortion and, and political corruption, there will be a crisis and a cleansing that will turn the people <laughs> from their wickedness and put us on our knees and um, so he said, look, we don't need to be pessimists, but we do need to be realists. Every family needs to do what it can to put its house in order. A home can be a refuge against the coming storm and the love developed between parents and among children and grandchildren uh, for their parents and their grandparents is God's supreme formula for healing and for strength and power. And, you know, he was asked, Cleon, you've been studying, you know, the problems of our country most of your adult life. How in the world can you remain so optimistic? And he said, well, it's really simple. I've read the book and I know in the end we win. God prevails. And I tell my kids that all the time. Kids, you want to make sure you're on the right side of things. You want to make sure you're on the right side. You want to be on God's side because eternity is the wrong thing to be wrong about. <laughs> and so, you know, as long as we're on God's side and with the people that he has, you know, inspired and, and brought about, you know, raising them up to bring about his purposes, we don't need to fear. And so uh, I always say, look, we've got the God of the universe uh, uh, backing us. So hold our heads high and let's be about solutions. So today we're going to discuss how we can assure us up individually and our families. Next week, we'll talk about how we can be a part of healing our communities, the school systems, the school boards, and at the state level. And the third week, we're gonna talk about how we can actually heal this land nationally and heal, be about healing the constitution. And then our fourth and final week will be what can be done to heal uh, us, um, on a worldwide international basis, our economies and our international relationships. So we don't wanna replace anything that our founding fathers have given us. We just want to begin to know how to reapply them. And I do think, you know, for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand, it talks about in the scriptures, that this is a time for renewal and revival and restructure. It's kind of going back to the rock from which we were hewn from our roots it talks about in isaiah okay so let's turn to restoring individual freedoms and family values this is what we'll be talking about tonight and most of the material um, that we will discuss tonight is going to be taken from a talk by uh, secretary benson who was the secretary of agriculture under eisenhower from 1953 to 61 he was a great patriot and in 1986, Secretary Benson gave a talk at the American Freedom Festival. And um, it was based off of the scripture from Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation. 
And he spoke about the necessity of individuals being righteous enough that the heavens will be justified in interceding on our behalf. So he gives a really uh, nice um, introduction and history of, of our country, of the pilgrims and the miracles during the Revolutionary War and our founding fathers and the miracle of the Constitutional Convention. And it's, it's all things that we've discussed in seminar one. And I love seminar one because it just you just can see the magnificence of God's hand in the early formation of this land when we should have never won that revolutionary war and we did. And so he said, look, our nation's founding is spiritual. Without spirituality, we are no better than any other nation which have sunk into oblivion. Our founding fathers with solemn and reverent expression voiced their allegiance to the sovereignty of God, knowing that they were accountable to him in the day of judgment. Are we any less accountable today? I think not. And Secretary Benson urges, you know, the citizens of this nation to keep God's commandments and to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, whether we voted for them or not. Are we praying for our leaders? We want our president and the presidency to be successful. You have a you know, successful presidency and honorable presidency, you have a successful and honorable government and nation. And so, you know, there's some wonderful quotes about our founding fathers talking about how the hand of almighty was absolutely in the critical stages of the development of this land. Um, James Madison there, the, our father of the constitution. And then he goes on to quote Thomas Jefferson, who said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Thomas Jefferson understood we cannot be lax or lazy about maintaining what they gave us because freedom isn't free. Now, you know, we don't need a majority of people on that wall, but we need enough. I mean, our founders knew it was only about like I mentioned, a small percentage, 3% that actually were willing to fight and do something, you know, to establish this land and to win the Revolutionary War. So we know our battles are not over with, and there will still yet be times when this great nation is going to need the overshadowing help of deity. So the question is, will we, will we be worthy to call upon him for help? So how do we prepare ourselves so God will intervene in our behalf and on the behalf of our children and our grandchildren in the days ahead? So Secretary Benson suggests four important things to get ourselves right and to get our family right. I'm going to talk about one and two, and Al, is, who is patiently waiting there in Detroit, <laughs> is going to discuss three and four from Secretary Benson. So when everyone is running to and fro and upset and churning and worried about the state of affairs in this nation, um, this is what will keep us anchored in hope and will help to keep all those loved ones around us anchored in hope. Number one, are you doing something funny here, Al? Number one is, and you maybe have heard me and Al talk about this, is, <laughs> not quite yet, we must both as individuals and as a nation look to God as uh, the maker and the source of our freedoms and blessings. All right. So we need to know that we're going to take our marching orders 
from God, when we get on our knees morning and night and we pour out our hearts to him and we explain why we're worried and, and, you know, where we think we're failing. And then we ask him, Lord, you know, please use me as an instrument and I, I, thy hands that we have to place faith that he's going to put ideas and people in our past. And he's going to teach us these. He's going to lead us to things like the, the cottage moms, America cottage meeting. And so we're going to look to God for healing and deliverance and solutions, not Washington, DC, not a stimulus check, not a government program, not the Congress or the president of the United States. So we know that our nation has faced many crises since its founding. And one of the most grave was the civil war. We lost more people in that war, about six to 700,000 people. But God rose up a man of the hour, Abraham Lincoln, who understood the spiritual foundations of America and who understood (laughs) we weren't going to make it unless he appealed to the divine guidance. And he called upon the citizens of this country uh, to have national days of fasting in prayer. And, um, And sure enough, they were able to pull through. It is the duty of a nation as well as men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and to humbly go before him and repent. And and then in Psalms, it says, those uh, announced in the Holy Scriptures proven that by all history, those nations only are blessed whose God is their Lord. All right, that comes from Psalms 33. 12. Did Abraham, was that a quote? I think that's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And so, you know, I love this. Um, this hangs in my, our house here. I have, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Abraham Lincoln, everyone that comes into our house sees that. And so, you know, we not only need to be praying but our children need to see us praying and we need to, to take our children uh, to the Lord and we need to, you know, grab onto them and pray with them morning and night uh, before they leave our homes. And then as they become adults, when they go out to the world, they won't have to turn to other vices or sources to solve their problems. Their, their first inclination will be to look up, to pray to God. And, you know, we know that when we seek his face, when we pray to him, that gets the attention of the heavens. So recently, um, you know, we have five kids and uh, one of our boys at 18 was kind of thrown to the wolves. He went to and played basketball for Duke University for one year and then was drafted into the NBA at 19. And I remember him saying, mom, Every possible sin is knocking at my door every day in the NBA. And it was hard for him, you know, to grow up, have to grow up really fast. And, you know, he's, I could tell, we could tell, you know, he was struggling for his life in the NBA over the last five years. But recently, you know, he had kind of one of those um, Saul to Paul experiences on the road to Damascus. And he said, God has really opened my eyes to the man that I am and who he needs to be. And um, it's so sweet, you know, uh, the change in him. And he said he was fasting recently. I was like, wow, 
okay, fasting. Because he said for the last year, I've just been seeking uh, God to kind of figure out what is my purpose here, you know? And so he said in this hour of fasting, it's God came to him and kind of showed him who he has always been. And, it, and, and he is the answer. And so uh, it's the sweetest thing. He sent me a text. Al, do you have that first little slide? He said, so mom, this is what I do every day. You know, I work out in the, the, the facility. He's a big athlete. But he said, uh, and they're called everyday drills, but I have edifying daily drills. So Frankie sent me a little email and he's like, mom, this is what I do to glorify God every day. He, he calls it, I'm chasing an eternal perspective. I'm trying to keep the big picture here. You know, I pray. He said, I pray every morning. And, and this is what he wrote me. This is so cute. This is this kid's 23 years old. But what this kid, is, what, what he was taught was to pray in our home morning and night. And so he's been out of our home for five years. And I wondered, Frank, you seem to be lost. Are you praying? And I would ask him that, but I just, I just didn't know. But the foundation had been laid in him. And this is what you do. You lay the foundation in your children and grandchildren. Then they have to go out in the world and have some real world experiences. And then when they're ready, they go back to what they saw mother and father and grandmother and grandfather do. So he said, mom, this is my daily edifying daily drills. He calls them the EDDs. I pray. And he said, it's a conversation with father in heaven. Do not be afraid. Take your time. Allow your thoughts to come to you. Nothing is ever scripted when I pray. He is our creator. He understands the desires of our heart. Be respectful, but be free. He entrusted us with a mortal body to do whatever you want with. That should give us all the confidence we need to take us on this crazy journey because why would he have done that if he didn't have faith in his children? Let's use it to the best of our ability. And then he said, I may not be prepared or ready for life, but I'm always prepared to do his will. So let's get prepared to do God's will every day. And then he, he told me part of his drills is he reads 10 to 20 pages of scripture and one conference talk from a church leader. And I was, I mean, Al and I were almost like stupefied. We're like, wow, he's actually remembering the things that we taught him. And I think sometimes with our adult children and they behave in ways that, you know, we didn't teach at home. We think, did, were, did we do something wrong? Did we fail? And sometimes they just have to go out and have some failures and stumble for them to really understand it all starts with prayer. And then, uh, and then Al, let's see the next slide. And the next slide is, oh, so he did a press conference the, uh, the other night and um, it was so cute. I, I mean, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, it's an honor and privilege to be here. I'm proud to wear Detroit across my chest. And I just, I just wanted to thank you guys. It's been a while since I've been here. So yeah, appreciate you guys. How much did the time away, you know, help, help you appreciate these opportunities? All, all the whole time. I think it's it's always good to kind of rejuvenate and get your body back right. Um, COVID is no joke too. Took me out for a couple of days, and uh, but the staff is incredible here, and they were able to you know work with me and and get me right. And uh, yeah, I just thank my 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 Lord and Savior and my Father in Heaven for letting me you know be out here tonight. It's just, it's kind of overwhelming. I don't know. 
it's just good to be here, and um, I'm just blessed. How about the juice in the belt? All right. So he sprained his ankle, so he was out for two weeks, and then he was tested positive for COVID, so that kept him out, so he was gone for three weeks. But over that time, you know, I guess as he had a lot of time to ponder and really, you know, maybe have a chance to be still and hear the voice of God in his heart. Uh, he's just kind of has just the light has gone on again. And so he just posted this on his Instagram. Let's see that Instagram post out. So he talks about uh, praying, uh, you know, and he has a pretty good following. And, uh, and he, I think he was saying a little prayer before the game the other night. And then let's see the next picture, hun. And because he was taught certain things in a family devotional that we're going to talk about in just a minute, point number two, he's usually the only kid on the court uh, with his hand over his heart. And he said, mom, I had such a rushing feeling uh, that night as I put my hand over my heart and thanking God for this country and how lucky and blessed I am to be able to play, you know, as a profession and in the NBA. And, and, you know, I, I just was kind of thrilled to see, you know, that, that he's coming full circle here. And uh, I think that is, oh, okay. And then, and then, oh, so this is what he said. He texted me about the game the other night. He said, mom, it was cool. The, the team photographer was able to capture me conversing with the Lord before the game. And the, um, the, and the one of me at the anthem was the first time that I'd ever had that much confidence and a love rushed through me all at once. It moved me to tears on the court before the game. He said, I was so lucky. I realized that I was even able to stand out there. His hand continues to be constant in my life. I love my family. It's been a blast to have Marie and dad here. Wish you were here. Love you so much. Now, this is a kid that is not always like being in the NBA, if you can believe that, because it's hard and it's scary and he feels the weight. And so he's in, in some instances, he hasn't even known if he'd wanted to be there. And, you know, as he continued to pray to God, God opened his eyes and he now looks at, at this opportunity as a, a way to magnify and, and glorify God. And so, um, okay, I think that's all for there. And so as we go to God in prayer and we teach our children to go to God in prayer, it may seem for a time that they've lost their way when they leave the home, but God in their hour of need will come, will bring these teachings, these examples that we have shown them to their mind and they will rise up and they will now begin to be a part of the solution, you know, to the world. And as he, you know, brings people to God in, in a real visible occupation that he has now, who knows, you know, he, he posted his Instagram post, you can't see that, but he talked about God and he got thousands and tens of, uh, I mean, likes and comments. And, and so you just never know. So this was last night. I think they were at the practice facility and they took a Frankie's little doggy. And uh, that was fun. So number two, we make the creation of uh, quality family time, a high priority in our life. So we're not talking maybe more recreation opportunities in the family, but 
times when you can really teach your children and grandchildren the things that matter the most. And uh, it says here, uh, Secretary Benson said, families are the foundation blocks of society. When a majority of families are strong and self-reliance, the nation prospers and dwells in safety. But today there are many forces pulling at the fabric of family life. And boy, don't we know that with divorce and social media and addictions and, and you know, moms and dads that are working incessantly around the clock. The 26th principle from the 5,000 year leap says this very thing. Our founders knew that the core unit that determines the strength of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect its, um, its integrity because our founders knew strong families mean you have strong societies. And when you have strong societies, you have a strong nation. And so uh, the key to family stability is a happy marriage based on family worship. Divorce is deplored. And look, both Al and I come from homes uh, where divorce took place, and we understand how destructive that can be to the strength of a family. But, you know, we want to strive for the ideal. We want to do everything we can to keep that marriage strong. So Al and I have been married 30 years and we've had seven children. We've had to bury two little sons that died when they were young. And so we've had the highs and lows of marriage that I think all of us have experienced in one way or the other. But I dare say the glue that kept he and I together was our shared devotion to God. So he and I have a, a habit of praying every night together. And sometimes I throw my arm across the kingside bed. He throws his and we, we can barely touch her on a, on a good night. He comes over to my side and we pray. We pray every night together. We pray with our children before we go to bed and we pray with them as we get them off, but we pray together as a, as a husband and wife so we can resist temptation and we can stay loyal and true and do the work that he needs us to do. So, you know, Al, in addition to being a businessman, he volunteers, he's a lay pastor for our church and he oversees about six congregations of literally thousands of young people ages 18 to 31 called young single adults. And he and I have served together, uh, you know, in the church, and it's helped just keep us cleaving to one another. God has been the forefront of our marriage. And so, you know, maybe you have a husband that, you know, doesn't pray or doesn't do church or doesn't have the same convictions that you do. And to be honest with you, when I married Al, uh, he hadn't been raised in a home of praying and of Bible reading. And so I was the one that had to instigate that with children initially when they were little. And he would watch me pray and, and uh, teach the children. And Al was a praying man. I don't want to imply that he wasn't a praying man. But, you know, he didn't, once again, he didn't, he didn't grow up doing it with his family. So it didn't come as natural. So I had to take the lead on this. And uh, ultimately, you know, his heart was pricked and he, he, he began to, you know, teach these things with my children shoulder to shoulder with me. And now he actually takes the lead. He's like the patriarch of the family. And uh, believe me, I love it. So it's been said that father is the boss, as everyone knows. But whatever mother says, 
goes. And, you know, I, I've heard that children look to their mothers and grandmothers for guidance and their fathers and grandfathers for acceptance. So, you know, our, our roles are different as husbands and wives, but we work together as equal partners. And, you know, that balance is going to look a little bit different for every family. But, you know, I dare say your marriage will be strengthened if you can bring God into it together. And I might just suggest start trying to pray together and, and see where that leads. We encourage parents to teach their children fundamental spiritual principles that will instill faith in God, faith in family, and faith in the country. And uh, do what you can to create and foster strong family units, which will make for stable societies. So in our family, one of the best ways to have quality family time every day was a family devotional. And you've heard, maybe you've heard Al and I talk about this. I, I talk a lot about this in uh, the 12 Cottage Meeting Series, uh, Raising the Next Generation of Patriots. And so this was just last summer at the beach. And even though most of our kids are out of the home, three of the five are uh, their whole life for 20 years. They grew up having a little family devotional in the morning and it was started out really simple. We would just read the Bible and we'd sing a little gospel song and then we'd pray and then we'd get the little kids out uh, to school. But as I began to learn these principles of liberty and freedom, I began to weave them into our family devotional. And I would teach them a story from our American heritage. And I would teach a little segment of the Constitution. And, you know, at, at first, I thought I was crazy. I was getting political in the family devotional. But the spirit pricked his heart. And you've heard me say it would be the means of him going on to run for the state Senate. And he, uh, you know, teaches around the country now uh, these things that I began to teach in our little family devotional through the cottage meetings through Moms for America. So that's how I know how powerful cottage meetings are, because mom and grandmother learn with the women, then they come home, they teach the husband, they teach their children and grandchildren, and then you just watch the miracles unfold. And so, you know, the key to these family devotionals is just be consistent. You know, whether you do it in the morning or whether you do it at night or do you do it over the dinner table. I mean, I just, uh, with our family, I we read a little story out of the Bible story. And then uh, we go over the headlines of the day. And then our, our kids uh, go review one principle a week from the 5,000 year leap. And then the 14 year old reads from the McGuffey readers. Remember, we talked about this is how kids used to read the readers in the 1800s where there are morals and principles and commandments and God's law. And this is how they learned to read. So I'm having her read these little stories. And then we go over our schedule. We sing a song, we pray and, and out the door uh, she is. And then our, uh, we do something similar to that with our son in the evening because he leaves before she does. So, so, you know, and if you have adult children, if you don't have anyone at home, um, uh, we have, uh, a, a daily family devotional text that I send out. So here's our, here's the pictures of our, our devotional. This is what it looks like. Well, it's pretty casual. We get out our, you know, scriptures and here dad is leading us. I mean, how powerful is that to have a dad lead, but you need to know in the beginning I led, you know, and then, and then I, as I was consistent, Al, God touched Al's heart. And for years now he, he leads and then we teach together. 
So I put out a little devotional about five times a week to the kids, even, you know, two kids at home. And then some of the cousins and friends and, you know, goes to about 25 people in our immediate family and circle. And so this is just an example. I think I did this uh, yesterday. We need, so this is an example of the text I do to the kids. I usually do a quote and then I do a scripture and then I just bear a little testimony and then I tell them what mom and dad are doing and I send some pictures of, you know, what we're all doing. And, and, and this is how I still teach them, even though they're out of the home. And maybe I won't feel like I need to do this in a few years, but I feel like I still need to reinforce what is, what is near and dear to my heart. And oftentimes I will quote the founding fathers and I will talk about principles of liberty. So this one, uh, the other day, this um, text, family devotional text said, we need not hesitate to call upon God. Even when we feel unworthy, we can rely on the mercy and merits of Jesus Christ to be heard. As we abide in God's love, we depend less and less on the approval of others to guide us. D. Todd Christofferson. And then the scripture is from John, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. And then I just bear a little testimony here. My darling children, you are not a stranger to our heavenly parents and our savior. Let the divine love they have for you give you abundant comfort and confidence. Hold your head high, love others without condition. You have the God of the universe behind you. And then I just go on to tell them uh, what dad and I are doing. And, and, um, and so that is what I have done and Al has, has done, we've done together to try and create quality family time in our family. So when we send these kids off into the world and they have experiences in the world, they will remember some of these foundational teachings that will help see them through and help them be a part of the solution and not the problem. Okay, Al, thanks so much for your patience, sweetie. Al's going to go over points three and four, and then that will um, complete our lesson tonight. Okay, thank you. So the third point that we've been encouraged to do is to become informed and knowledgeable citizens. And, and part of that is understanding the leading features of the Constitution. Now, do we need to become constitutional scholars and go to law school and be able to know what Article 3, Section 8 says and memorize all these particular points in the Constitution? Absolutely not. And I think what we've tried to highlight throughout the seminar is knowing that when the Constitution was written in 1787, it was written with the mindset that it would be the governing document for the current time at that time, which was 3 million people. And as John Adams said, that the foundational principles in the constitution would transcend and be the governing document for 300 million people because it's based on the doctrine of separation of powers and the doctrine of checks and balances. And those are the key principles in the document that perpetuate for time and all eternity. And so when people tell you that the document was written for farmers, it was written for their day, it's not for our day, it's obsolete. The first question you should ask them is, well, tell me what part of the constitution is obsolete in your opinion. And I guarantee you, you won't get much of a response. So today we 
judge government in terms of left versus right, Democrat versus Republican. And what we don't understand is the real definition of government, which is a system of ruling and controlling. So when if you judge government by political parties, political parties shift with time, shift like sand. They move back and forth. One party can be more conservative than the other. It's just something that's not stable. The founders would have been just mortified if they knew that we approach government that way. And because they were students of history, because they had studied governments of the past, and because of their experiences under British rule, they came to the conclusion that the two forms of government that you want to avoid are ruler's law, which is 100% tyranny, and then no law on the far right, where you have 0% government and, and, and you have anarchy. So what the founders, the genius of what the founders came up with was people's law, right smack dab in the middle between ruler's law and no law, where there is enough government to protect the God-given rights of the people, but not too much government to abuse the people. And there you see at the bottom is the family. And you've got federal government, state government, county government, the township, and then the family. And the family, like I said before, between 3 million, 300 million, a billion people. This governing document can handle all those people. And as we know from the Declaration of Independence, the primary purpose of government is to protect the God-given rights of the people. So these are the foundational principles of the Constitution that we need to know, that we need to have written on our heart so that we can, we can, we can debate effectively. And, and when we know these things, we know these principles, we know that they transcend political party. It has nothing to do with Democrat or Republican. It's the focus that the founders tried to get us to, to, to focus on was people's law. And we read this quote a couple of weeks ago, but I, I want to read it again, particularly a little a, a few parts of it, where Thomas Jefferson really gives us what's the foundation of the Constitution. He says, no, my friend, and this is a letter he wrote. The way to have good and safe government is not to trust it all to one, but to divide it among the many, distributing to everyone exactly the function he is competent to. It is by dividing and subdividing these republics from the great national one down through all its subordinations until it ends in the administration of every man's farm by himself, by placing under every one what his own eye may superintend that all will be done for the best. And he goes on at the end, he says, what has destroyed liberty and the rights of man in every government which has ever existed under the sun? It's the concentration of, of all cares and powers into one body, which is what we're experiencing today. Power has gone from we the people at the state and local level, and it's gone to a centralized government through the amendments that were added to the Constitution that have changed the balance, disrupted the doctrine of separation of powers, and disrupted the doctrine of checks and balances that the founders gave us. And that's 
That's the beauty. That's the genius of the founders. Dividing political party among many, as opposed to having it concentrated in one area. So number four, the fourth point that Secretary Benson advises us to do is to become actively involved in supporting good, wise, and honest people for public office, and then ourselves assume an active part in the community. And that involves what we just talked about, learn first, then act. Once you learn these principles, once you have them written on your heart, then you can go out and act because God will then guide and direct you because you come from a point of strength. That is your weapon, knowing what the foundational principles are of the Constitution. So you're able to speak with principle. And that gives you power because it transcends race, political party, or what have you. Those principles are eternal. So then you're able to study how government is structured at the federal, state, and local level, the different political philosophy, Republican, Democrat, what the founders taught us. And then you're, you get involved in political activism and the methods associated with that and, and be up on current events and issues of the day. And the two issues that are right before us are the, the filibuster, which the Democrats are trying to get rid of. Some Democrats are trying to get out, rid of. And then we've got the, the, the opening on the Supreme Court. And that filibuster was put in by the founders for a reason. So we wouldn't have... 51-49 votes or 50-50 votes with one breaking the tie. They wanted Congress to deal with issues where they could get a consensus, where, where they could talk through an issue and that everybody would feel good about it instead of digging in their heels and turning it political and focused on what's going to keep them in office as opposed to what's best for the people. Having the House operate every two years where they are accountable to the electorate every two years and they would represent the people and the Senate would represent the states. And that's why they put that balance in there. And, and you'll see people who think they're wise are trying to disrupt that system. And really at the end of the day, it's really about concentrating and keeping power for themselves. So these are some books we want to encourage you, invite you to build your I Love America Library. The 5,000 Year Leap, we feel is a must. David Barton has written a beautiful book called The Original Intent that I refer to often. There's a beautiful section in there that talks about the difference between a democracy and a republic, where a democracy is based on feelings and a republic is based on the rule of law, God's law, meaning if murder, is bad according to the Lord and should be punished, then it will always stay that way. In a democracy, if the majority of the people feel, eh, murder, man, not so bad. Maybe we can change those laws. That's why you, you have the enemies of freedom who continually, continually use the word to describe our country as a democracy, and it's not. It's a republic, a representative form of, of, of government. The one book that I would encourage you all to have is The Making of America. Put that in your library as well. That's the encyclopedia. And it goes through all the parts of the Constitution with supporting documentation from the founders themselves and what they said about it and what they wrote about it. And then books like 
the real Thomas Jefferson, the real George Washington, the real Benjamin Franklin, because we know from seminar three, a lot of money has been spent going after their sacred honor, but these are really fascinating and wonderful reads. So how do you get involved? Once you learn, how do you get involved? Well, a lot of people are intimidated about entering, entering the system of government that's out there. And it is, it is frightening. It is frightening. That's why it's so important to garner as much knowledge as you can, because then you feel empowered. And then you, you study the scriptures, you go to church, you, you, you worship, you serve other people, and then the Lord can use you in ways that you can that go beyond what you think you can do. He expands your capacity. So some ways that you can engage in the current system, get a job in government. That, that could be something for some people to do, run for being a county executive or a city manager. Uh, political parties, you can, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, there are always ways to get involved in the Republican Central Committee, the Democratic Central Committee to start going to the meetings and, and let your voice be heard because you will be an influence for good. Get involved in political campaigns, get involved in elections, meaning go and actually vote. Maybe you, you feel inspired to run for office like so many moms have done across the country. And then and how do you initiate change? How do you build? How do you popularize? How do you mobilize? How do you influence? Well, you join some groups that are out there, some nonprofits. Uh, you, you, you get in, involved with cottage meetings. You have cottage meetings in your homes where you, you bring your neighbors in, three, four, five, six, seven people, and, and start sharing and learning together. And then be involved in political movements showing up for the, the March of Life and those kind of things. We had some friends flying to DC and they participated in that. There are plenty of groups that we can join and support. There's Moms for America, there's the Family Foundation, there's an Eagle Forum in every state. Phyllis Schlafly started that, God rest her soul, but that's, that's a group that is in every state. One of the groups that we've joined recently is the Convention of the States. They have chapters in every single state. They're involved in encouraging states to have a constitutional convention so that we can restore and heal the constitution. And then you've got groups like Turning Point USA that we can encourage our children to join when they go to college, to be around like-minded people and be engaged in the process. So Julene, I'm going to turn it back over to you to summarize the four points, and then we can open it up for discussion or what have you. Thank you. Okay. Hey, that, that was a really nice little PowerPoint there, baby. Thank you. Well, you know, there's a section that we won't cover tonight. It's called the family, the foundation of the nation. And it just talks about ways that we can raise a patriotic family, patriotic grandchildren, but I'd really like to recommend in three weeks, we're going to start this series that talks all about, uh, you know, how we stay anchored in hope and how to teach your children the foundation of faith, the valor of virtue, the power of patriotism, teaching them stories of America, the importance of the dinner hour, teaching them to love uh, liberty and freedom through literature and art and poetry and music and teaching the constitution to your children and the law of harvest, teaching them self-reliance and ultimately how do you raise up this next generation as patriots? So what, what's gonna happen are these are 12 lessons and 
we've asked 12 moms around the country to teach, take one lesson and teach them. So you can see the different experiences and styles of different mamas at different ages teaching this national cottage meeting on Wednesday mornings. I believe it will be, um, Viv, help me, is it going to be one o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 12 noon Central Time? It's 12 noon Central, yes. Well, 12 noon Central, yeah. And so, you know, that will give you a lot of ideas of how to raise up the next generation of children and grandchildren as patriots. So I want you to know that your example of showing up here every Wednesday and, and Thursday night, particularly this group, husbands and wives uh, with children are inspiring. And Al and I, as we go around the country and we speak, uh, we, we talk about you all and the cottage meetings you're starting and the things that you're doing in your communities. And I know probably as you are learning, you can't help but share the uh, be a messenger of the things that you're learning for freedom and our founders and hope and healing. You, 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 you know, as you learn and gain testimony is something is the most natural thing to turn around and to teach and to share with other people. So, you know, next week we're going to talk about specific things that we can do to heal the school systems and the community and the state. But I do believe that what we talked about tonight is the most important thing because it is what we can directly control ourselves and what goes on within the four walls of our home. We can directly control what we teach and how we shore that up. And, uh, and so I'd really like to encourage you to invite your friends uh, and your family members to join because we'll talk about what we can do with our children and our grandchildren, our adult children to shore them up. Knowledge is only yours as you give it away. And as you give it away, your knowledge increases. God will bless your mind with what your children and grandchildren and loved ones need to know. So as you learn, you teach. And, uh, and so I just, I have, I, I've, feel compelled to say that it will be you all, you righteous mothers and fathers and grandparents. It will be your influence will be magnified almost tenfold more so than what it was maybe even five years ago or 10 years ago, as the world gets increasingly wicked and godless and people really begin to lose heart and you see, you know, anxiety and depression just spiraling here. And it will be, you know, the people around you, the people in your communities and neighborhoods and churches and so forth, they will look to you uh, and your example and your knowledge that you're gaining now. And you really will become like a light on the hill, like, you know, we're told about in the New Testament. And your home will be a refuge. And those that gather there will feel that there is something grounding about your home and you will be an anchor to those who enter and you will be a stabilizing force as you do these things, as you look to God for uh, your freedom and for your answers and solutions, as you make quality family time, a high priority with your children and grandchildren. And you know what, Alan, I have tried to give you examples today from our personal life but every home is going to look different. And so this is why you need to get on your knees tonight and ask what, what was one thing that I can take 
from uh, this lesson tonight that I, I can incorporate, whether it's in my life, maybe I need to begin to pray more, or maybe I need to begin to encourage all that come into my home, have a little prayer with them before they leave, and, uh, and then continue to study uh, like you are the constitution from the viewpoint of the founders and our great American history. And then as, as we go to God in prayer, he will let us know how should we get involved? You know, should, should, I mean, ideally we would like you to start cottage meetings in your neighborhood because that's where the real miracles occur as you gather together with people in your community with like-minded hearts where you pray and you petition the heavens to know how to shore up your community and, and, you know, we'll, we'll teach these classes online. Uh, but um, that's one of the things you could do is start a cottage meeting. And many of you have, and it is so thrilling to hear how it is going. And then, uh, and, and then, um, you know, we, we put it in God's hands and we don't have to fear and we don't have to hang our head high because we know that God prevails and we're on the right side. So I'd really like to encourage you tonight to go back and reread all of this. We kind of did a, a, a scan through it and be prayerful about, well, what, what can I do to get myself right or to short my children? And next week, we'll talk about uh, how we can heal our community and state. And with that...